Turn in your Bible to uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 48. Isaiah, chapter 48. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 48, there's things that God wants us to know. And that is, He wants us to believe Him. You'd be surprised what God goes through in our lives trying to teach us to trust Him. He wants us to know Him. And He makes a statement here in verse 3, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. Interpreted, that means, because I know, knew that you were hard-headed and stiff-necked. That's what that means. So he says in verse 5, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee, lest thou should have said, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. In other words, God don't want you to believe in these false gods, in idols, in images. He wants you to believe Him. So He said, I will tell you in advance what will happen so that you'll know I told you so. God loves to say, I told you so. We don't like it, but God does. And then he says this in verse 6, Thou hast heard, see all of this, and will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. So he says, I know things. I want to reveal things because I want you to know me. I want you to believe me. I want you to trust me. Now, of course, in a spiritual realm, we can apply that in a lot of ways. And I could teach a whole sermon on just that part of the message in itself. But take your Bible and turn to the book of, Ecle uh, of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. And look there in uh, all around verse or chapter 37. That sounds like a good chapter, don't it? Chapter 37. It is an interesting little chapter. God had prophesied in advance what was going to take place with the nation of Israel. If you remember, Solomon was the king. And Solomon was considered to be the wisest man. And in his so-called wisdom, he made some wrong decisions. You think, why would you do that if you're so wise? And yet he had wisdom. He knew so much. And it says that even though he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, they led him astray. Because they had other gods. They came from other nations. So now, it's hard enough for a man to please one wife. But what if you had 700 of them? <laughs> he says, wow. <laughs> 700 of them, and you've got to satisfy 700 wives, and they all got their own gods, their own desires and things. You go nuts. 
And the Bible says that they turned his heart from the Lord. And because of that, God says, not in your day, but when you die, I'm going to rip the kingdom apart. So you see, there is a price for sin. It does take its toll. Even though he built such great wealth, it was all lost. The temple that he had built was so beautiful, it was destroyed. So you see, when you serve the Lord, God can give and give, but when you don't, God can take it all away. So easy. God wants us to learn. God wants us to trust Him. But we're so hard-headed, and He has a whole chapter in the book of Psalms about, lest ye forget, lest ye forget. He says, and you forgot. You forgot. You forget where your blessings come from. You forget there's a God in heaven that rules in the lives of man. And God can let things come your way, and God can keep things from you. He can shower you with blessings, and He can take them all away just as easy. So, if all this is true, if there's anybody you never want to make mad, it ought to be the Lord. Don't make God mad or upset. Now, here in the book of Psalms and 37, there's a little vision here. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. It's a reference to the nation of Israel, and it's actually even looking further into the future because Israel is going to be destroyed, and it's going to get very, very bad for them as a people. But God says these bones are going to start coming together, and so they're going to come to life, and they're going to stand up on their feet, and they're going to be a whole army. But why is God doing all of this? Because, see, God knows that if He doesn't do it, the nation of Israel never will. You see, for 1,500 years from the time they were told what to do until Christ came, they never fulfilled the law. They, they just wouldn't obey. They were just rebellious, disobedient people. So God says, I'm going to have to really lower the boom. Almost bring them to the point of annihilation. That day is coming. That day is close. When there's a good possibility in the very near future, Israel as a nation can be totally destroyed. There will always be a remnant. A few that will be the seeds by which he can grow a nation again. So I want you to look at this here in chapter 36. Look in chapter 36. I want you to notice there in verse 10, there's things that God is going to cause to happen. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, page 880. And he says in verse 10, I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited, and the wastes shall be builded. In verse 11, I will. And you'll notice he keeps saying what I will do. I will do. I am going to do this. Because Israel as a nation never will. So God is going to bring them to the point of destruction. And eventually the nation of Israel is going to see the Lord when he comes back in power and great glory. So he goes down through here and he says all these things and lays it uh, down pretty clear. And then he says there in verse 15, Neither will I cause men to hear in thee the shame of the heathen anymore. 
Neither shalt thou bear the reproach of the people anymore. Neither shalt thou cause thy nations to fall anymore, saith the Lord. In other words, there's a time coming God's going to stop all of this. Because God's going to deal. But you see, there's nations that are going to fall. And there's going to be one nation that is going to rise. You and I are living at one of the most exciting times of human history. You see, because God says you're hard-headed and stiff-necked, I'm going to tell you all these things in advance so that when it happens, you'll know that I told you. You see, it's one thing when God says something and, you know, a couple hundred years later, it happens. He says something else and a couple hundred years later, it happens. But here he's talked about something and it's been over two thousand years so if this thing happens it's really got to be a miracle a big miracle because God said that he was going to divide the nation of Israel ten tribes would be considered to be Israel and their capital would be in Samaria and then you had the southern two tribes Judah and Benjamin and the capital would be in Jerusalem so there were kings from Israel and kings of Judah. And so when you read the kings, that's so that you know that. And so there were kings in two different places at the same time over God's people. Only because there had been sinful rebellion. And God says, the day is going to come when I'm going to have to really chasten you hard because you won't listen. Some people just won't believe God. So the Assyrians came in and they conquered Israel. And took them into captivity. And that's where a lot of people think they're talking about the lost ten tribes. And they come into Europe. And America now is the... Uh, no, that, that's, that's, that's junk. Don't go down that stuff. And then, uh, a couple hundred years later, here comes the Babylonians. And they take Judah. Destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And the walls of the city. And the temple. And all that was destroyed taken into Babylonian captivity. And then 70 years later, they came back to the land, Ezra, Nehemiah, and some of them, and they rebuilt the wall, and they built that little thing called the temple. And it says some of the older men, they wept because they remembered the other temple. They remembered Solomon's temple. And that this temple was nothing compared to what they used to have. And so Ezekiel was given dimensions of the one that's going to be built in the millennium. A future day, a future, I guess you could say, temple that's going to be beautiful than anything they've ever seen. And he talks about a lot of other stuff that we don't have time to get into right now. But this temple that's going to be, the ones before it will be like nothing. And then David's going to be here. King David is going to be here and rule and reign upon the earth. So we look forward to that. But look what he says in verse 22. Verse 22, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for mine own holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. So he has sent them everywhere, and Israel should have, wherever they went, into all the world. They wouldn't do it voluntarily. And the God had meant for Israel to be a lighthouse to the world, to show the nations of the world what it was like to have the true 
and living God as their God. And they were to serve God and be a light to the Gentiles. So they wouldn't do it voluntarily. God smashed them and scattered them. And wherever they went, they were supposed to be like little lights of the true and living God. And still manifest what they believe and what they knew about God. And they wouldn't do it. They went bitterly and they cursed God. They hated and they... Anyway, God had to lower the boom on them. But he says, I'm not doing this so much for your sake. I'm doing it for my sake. Because God had a reason. God had a purpose. See, God loved his people. He wanted to do so much for his people. But God can't bless disobedience. You see, here we are, 2,000 years removed from the time of Christ. We're supposed to believe that all these things are true so that we don't make the same dumb, stupid, idiotic mistake they made. We should know that if I serve the Lord, God will bless me. And if I don't, God could beat the tar out of me. So which one do I want? Do I want God to beat me all the time or do I want God to bless me? I decided if this is true, and believe it is, I'm going to serve the Lord. Because God says, this is what I will do. I will do. I will do this. See there in verse 24? For I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Stop and think. Even in our time, I should say uh, a little bit, I was maybe five years old, <laughs> when Israel became a nation, May the 28th, 1948. And they came from all over the world to that little sliver of land they have over there. A miraculous thing. Because God says that I'm going to scatter you. And then in the last days, he says, I'm going to bring you back into the land. And they've come back and become established as a nation. No other nation has ever done that. Of all the nations in all the world, there's nobody ever had that happen to them. But it happened to Israel. God said that it would. Well, if after these 2,500 years... You think it's just a coincidence? Or is it possible that there is truly a living God that lives and moves in the affairs of man? And that God is on the throne and God can protect his people regardless of what everybody tries to do to them. Even though Hitler tried to annihilate the Jews and people are still wanting to do that today. Isn't it amazing? That's what they wanted. You don't hear them say, we're going to annihilate all the Catholics. We're going to annihilate all the Baptists. No, it's, I want to kill all the Jews. And of course, um, Christians are thrown into that. Well, look what he says. In verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. You shall be clean. In other words, this is a reference to the day when you will believe on the Messiah and you will be washed as white as snow. It's the new birth. It's the only thing that can cure Israel is a new birth. Where they believe on the Lord. And then as a nation, God is able to fulfill His will. Because God can't bless the rebellious rebellion. See there in verse 26? And He said, A new heart will also I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will do this. I will, I will, I will. All the way down to I will. This is what I'm going to do. You see, individually, 
there's people that trust Christ as Savior, Jews, and there's individuals, Gentiles, that will trust Christ as Savior, and God gives them a new man, a new birth. That's the new heart. A new heart is because you had a new birth. And so God has promised all of this, and so he says there in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. Then down in verse 29, and I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call you for the corn, and I will, in verse 30, see, this is because of what God is going to do. Verse 31, then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good. And your own sight, and your abomination, your iniquities. In verse 32, not for your sake do I do this, saith the Lord, be it known. He says, your own ways of the house of Israel, you have gotten what you have deserved. But God is always merciful. God is merciful. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, we would all be consumed. Because God has the right to take any of us out of here at any time because of our wickedness. We don't think right. We don't love right. We don't serve right. We just don't live right. Regardless of your desire and your motive to, we fail. We fail all the time. So he says, um, I'm going to do some things to you. But look in verse 35. And they shall say, this land was, which was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. I've been to Israel six times. The land of Israel is like the Garden of Eden. It really is. I can't believe it. You can have six kinds of raw fish for breakfast every morning. Oh, I love that raw fish. Don't it just make you hungry? Just think about all that raw fish. They even gave us St. Peter's fish from the Sea of Galilee. Still has its head on it. St. Peter's fish, they leave the head on it, they cook the whole thing. Boy, is that good eating. Man, it's good eating. And you can stand up on the Mount of Olives, and you can see certain parts, of, of, especially upon the Golan Heights, and you can see the land of Jordan. It's like a desert. You leave in from Israel, and you start going down south toward Egypt. It's desert. Israel, it blossoms like a rose. God has blessed those people because they're working the land. If they follow biblical principles, saved or lost, it won't matter. If a lost man puts seeds in the ground and waters it, it can grow. See, it's not based upon whether or not the man is saved or lost. But they have been blessed with such wisdom to do all of these things. Now look at verse 37. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. Now, he kind of breaks it away and then he gets into this whole thing about this uh, valley of dry bones. And how he says that uh, these body parts are going to start coming together. And it seemed a little crazy at first. But look there in verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, Our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts because they were scattered all over the world. They had no unity. They had no land of their own. They had no, and still don't have a, a temple. They have no king. 
and yet they're trying to worship Jehovah. And some have no clue what they're even doing after all these years. They've lost the meaning of why they were doing these things. And he says in verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves. That means the other nations. I'm going to bring you from out of these nations and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Remember God says, Because you're hard-headed and stiff-necked, I'm going to tell you all these things before it comes to pass. Hasn't it come to pass? Hasn't some of this here taken place? It's not the total fulfillment. But you can't have a peace treaty with a nation of Israel if there is no nation of Israel. So there is going to be a seven-year treaty made, but you have to have a nation. Right now, the Muslim nations want to deny Israel the right to exist as a people. They want them annihilated. They want to deny them the right to the land. Even though they've got 50-something countries, they want that little sliver of land too. You're talking about being hoggish. They want it all. And by the way, they don't want just Israel. They want America too. They want all the nations of the earth to worship Allah. Ooh, doggy, so much stuff I'd like to say. But anyway, he says in verse 14, And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your, get this, your own land. So that's why I know that up there, when he comes out of the graves, he's talking about coming out of those Gentile nations, lands around the world. And I'm going to bring you back into your own land, and you shall live. And then shall, he say here, then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, because you couldn't make it happen. This has to be a miracle. Because anything that God has to do, it's because man couldn't do it. God did this. God's taken rebellious individuals from all over the world because they are of the nation of Israel, and God can bring them back into their land. And God can create that desire, that hunger, to want to go into their own homeland and have it all again. And they always say, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. So he says these two sticks are going to be made into one. You know, there's a Israel and Judah, and they'll come together and become one nation. Well, if you go over there, you look, there's, there's one nation. It says in verse 19, Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick. They shall be one in mine hand. One nation, once again. You see, because of Solomon, and after he died, the kingdom was divided. And God says, in the last days, I'm going to bring them back. And they're going to be one nation. And the Bible talks about in the book of Hosea in chapter 4, I believe it is. And he says, he says, they parted my land. They parted my land. See, they're dividing up the land over there and say, you know, you give land for peace. You don't give any Arab land for peace. Not as a nation of Israel. Because they don't want just a little land. They want all of your land. You don't have a right to that land. And they want it all. But when you check the scriptures, you find that the Bible 
was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Muhammad ever showed up. And their writings, don't compare it with these writings. This was first. In their book, the Quran, it talks about the people of the book. And the people of the book is the nation of Israel, the Jews of the book, which is the Bible. So, this was first. There's his last. If you will, look down in verse 21. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will bring them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation. See up here when he says one stick, that's how I know he's talking about one nation. He's going to do it. And he makes this statement. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. This is what God says, I'm going to do this. Now remember, this was written almost 600 years before Christ ever came. Telling what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. You see, it, don't, it hasn't all yet been fulfilled. Parts of it has, but it ain't done yet. Israel has been under the dominion of Gentile nations, even when Christ was here, it was under the iron heel of Rome. And so God says that He's um, going to destroy the temple, the walls, the city. Jews would be scattered. It happened again. See, it happened before with Assyria and with Babylon, and then it happens again. History repeats itself because people don't usually learn their lessons. Remember, America is only 200 years old, a little over 200 years old. Look at all the things that we've done in just 200 years. Israel has been around for almost 4,000 years. That's a long time, ain't it? And get what he says here. He says in verse 24, And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, they shall also walk in my judgment and observe my statutes and do them. So we haven't had it yet where David has been here. But he's coming. This is talking about David. Now you say, well, they're not just talking about the lineage of David. Okay, that would mean um, Christ. Because there is no king past Christ. Jesus Christ, when he was here, is the only one, even at that time, that had the right to claim the throne of Israel. There was nobody else who could claim the throne. He had the right to claim the throne. That's why you have the genealogy given in the book of Matthew and also shown again in the book of Luke. One through Mary and one through Joseph. That he had the right, legal right, to claim the throne of Israel. And whenever he died, nobody else has the right to claim the throne. Because none of them from that line could claim the throne because it goes to Jeconiah and it was a curse put upon the line. And only because of the virgin birth could the next person have the right to be the king. He couldn't have a sinful nature. Interesting. 